You are listening to Excess Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the Genesis RPG by Fantasy Flight Games. The Excess Advantage podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at excess-advantage.com. And now your host, Christopher. Hello, and welcome to episode four of Excess Advantage. Advantageous failure, threatening success. Unlike prior episodes where I chose one specific chapter to delve deeper into, today I'm just going to talk about what I have noticed is one of the biggest hang-ups for new players to the game. Mainly, how do I spend advantage when my skill check failed? And the flip side, how do I spend fi- how do I spend threat when the check succeeds? But before I do that, I am going to do a little bit of begging. I have not yet received any iTunes ratings or reviews, and that is the number one way to get new listeners, to make new listeners aware of the podcast. In order for the podcast to be ranked on iTunes, I need at least five ratings, um, one star through five star, whatever you think is worth it, go ahead and leave that rating. If you want to leave a review, that would be great. Anytime I get a review, I will most definitely read it on air. Hopefully they'll all be good, but if not, you know criticism does help you grow, right? Also, if you head on over to excess-advantage.com and then click on the contact link, you can go ahead and send me any um, questions, comments, critiques, whatever, and I will read those on the air as well. I haven't gotten any questions in quite a while, so if anybody has anything they want me to address, feel free to leave it there. And while you're at excessadvantage.com, be sure to click on the support link and find out ways that you can support the show. Um, I would love to get some more Patreon backers, because right now I only have one. Shout out to Farnir, thank you very much. And the more um, backers we get, the more populated the backer-only Discord server will be. And higher level tiers get um, added benefits besides just access to the server. When we get enough people, I will be doing these recordings live on the uh, on the Discord server. And anyone who is there can go ahead and pop in and listen. And if you're a high enough backer, you can even ask questions live on air while recording. Now that we're done with that, let's move on to the bulk of the episode. One of the biggest problems that most people have is spending advantages and threat on rolls. In combat, it's really easy when you succeed on your check, spend advantage for critical hits. If you make an attack with a fire-based weapon, spend advantage to activate the burn quality. Punch someone with brass knuckles, spend advantage to, to activate the concussive quality, and all that kind of stuff. Really easy. But what happens on a check when you fail and you have all this excess advantage to spend? Well, there are um, tables in the book. In let's see, we have one table in uh, chapter six, combat, as well as in chapter seven, social encounters. The easiest and most basic way of spending advantage, whether your check succeeds or fails, is for recovering strain. And as strain is kind of the fuel that you use for casting spells, accessing different maneuvers on your turn, or accessing more maneuvers on your turn. Um, A lot of talents use it, so it's kind of like your reserve energy pool. So whether a success or failure, you could be invigorated enough to recover some of that strain. Also, you can spend one advantage to pass a boost die onto the next allied character's check. And in combat, that's pretty easy to figure out. Your attack leaves the enemy open, so the next person gets a boost die, or there's witty banter going back and forth between you and another character, and that encourages them to do better than you did, which would give them a boost die, or just anything narratively that makes sense to make the next character to act to give them a leg up. 
Also, you can, um, for both combat and social encounters, you have the option to notice a single important uh, detail in the ongoing conflict. The example that they give in the combat chapter is uh, the location of a door's control panel or a weak point on an armored car. Whereas if you take a look in the social encounters chapter, they give the example of overly curious waiter or some drapes your character can stand behind to avoid being recognized. So it doesn't give you any direct mechanical uh, benefits, but it's something that you might um, benefit from in the future. Uh, In the combat example, you find the control panel for the door, and you know that there are reinforcements going to be coming through the door. So the next person to act can act on that information and either um, just go over and hit the button or, in standard Star Wars fashion, shoot the control panel, which will close the door and leave it locked. In the social encounter example, you find a nosy waiter. Okay, well, what does that mean? Who knows, but it definitely opens up possibilities for more social interaction to find out why that waiter is being nosy. Are they a spy? Are they an undercover bodyguard? You know, are they a pickpocket looking for someone to... uh, lift a very expensive item off of, that kind of thing. Or if you notice some drapes, great. Now when you uh, come back and talk to the rogue, you can tell them exactly where to hide so no one will notice them. And whether you succeed or fail on your check, these are all things that could happen. For example, in combat, you notice the control panel. Well, how did you notice the control panel? Well, when you made your attack, um, you happened to notice that it started blinking. You know, uh, when you shot at your enemy, it went over shoulder and embedded itself right over the control panel on the door. Like, oh, hey, that's where it's at. Or in the social encounter example, when you notice the waiter, um, it could be that you're trying to convince somebody of something and you fail because they are so boring, so dull, or something like that. And as you're rolling, trying not to roll your eyes and you're looking away, you just happen to notice that this waiter is being very shifty. And like I said earlier, that opens up a lot more avenues for uh, social interaction to find out why. Or you can just let it drop and not worry about it. But since you uh, paid an in-game resource, in this case advantage, it might be worth looking into. Um, the tables go for a quite a while on other options you can spend advantage and triumph in combat for. One of my personal favorites that seemed to be sorely misused or underutilized is for two advantage you can perform an immediate free maneuver that does not exceed the limit of two maneuvers per turn so if you're in melee combat you make your attack with your weapon or with your fists and you miss but you have two advantage so you um, were able to create an opening and take the disengage maneuver so you are no longer engaged with them or um, you are shooting somebody and instead of spending advantage to notice a control panel as you're shooting, you're able to um, maneuver yourself in position and take cover, or any number of things that a maneuver could be used for, that you are able to distract somebody long enough to perform this maneuver. And the important thing about that is, yes, you're still limited to two maneuvers per turn, but at the same time, you don't have to spend too strain to take that second maneuver. So it is a very potent but very underutilized um, option that you can do. And then you could spend them for setback dice on the targeted character's check. And I believe that same thing for social encounters. And I apologize if you can hear me flipping pages in the book, but, you know, they're on different pages. So for true advantage, add a setback to the target character's next check. This is kind of like the spend one advantage to give the next ally a boost die because you're distracting them enough, but instead of creating an opening for your allies to exploit, you are confusing them or, you know, 
laying out enough uh, covering fires that they have to keep their head down a little bit, which makes what they are trying to do that much more difficult. As opposed to making it easier for someone else, you're making it more difficult for them. In a social encounter, um, even if you fail your check, you s- the phrase that you used might not have swayed them um, to your side or whatever your target whatever the role was supposed to do, but you said something that really upset them for one reason or another. It could be past childhood trauma. It could be that you just um, get in a cutting jab about you know their lack of uh, character or something to that effect that actually gets under their skin just a little bit, just enough to have them flustered so when they next make a check, they're a little off balance, if you will. Um, and then for social encounters, you can also spend two advantage to learn the strength or flaw of the targeted character, which not only is helpful because if you play to that strength or flaw, you gain a boost die, but also it allows you to understand better where they're coming from and what they're doing. So that option has both a narrative and mechanical benefit. Well, it has a direct narrative benefit, and which opens up to more mechanical benefits later on. And then for three advantages in combat, you can negate the targeted enemy's defense. So they have a shield or a force field, which gives them uh, ranged or melee defense. Well, your attack while not enough to actually deal them harm, was able to whittle down their defenses. You know, the force field had to shut down for a moment in order to uh, recharge recharge its emitters. Or if you're in melee combat and they've got a shield, they use their shield to uh, block your strike, but it's such an uncomfortable or awkward angle where they leave themselves open to the next attack. And that lasts until the end of the current round. So at the end of the round, their shield recharges or or their force field recharges or they can get their shield back into position. But until then, they're sitting ducks. Um, For social encounters, you can learn the desire or fear of the target character, which is a step above learning their flaws or strengths because if you mechanically interact with it, it's giving you two boost dice or setback dice as opposed to one with the strength or flaw. And the desires and fears are really what drives a character which allows you to learn more about them and figure out why it is they do what they do. And considering this is one of the um, specific examples given, that's a tip to GMs to make sure that important characters have strengths, flaws, desires, and fears. And in the, um, let's see, on page 124, there's a sidebar that lets you know how important an NPC has to be in order to have um, strength, fear, uh, desires, and flaws. So minions, don't worry about it. Minions are nameless people that are background noise. Don't really care why the stormtrooper is fighting for the Empire. They're evil. They have to be killed or they have to be taken out. Minor characters only have strengths and flaws. So if you're going to interact with someone once or twice, give them a strength, give them a flaw, but don't worry about desires or fears because that's probably not going to come into play. But anybody who is a major character is going to have all four because your PCs are going to interact with them regularly or they're going to be in the background all the time, you know, the menacing villain. And with that, you would definitely want to make sure you have their strength, flaw, um, fears, and desires because that allows you as a GM to better understand where your NPCs are coming from. And of course, with all of these um, expenditures of advantage, you can also spend one triumph to get the same effect. And now on the opposite side, sometimes you can succeed but have excess threat that either the GM or the fellow players are going to spend to make things a little bit more interesting. But why would you have threat on a successful skill check? Isn't a success mean everything's all good? Well, no. Things can happen. For example, you might have 
succeeded at your check, but it was physically taxing. So one threat is spent to have you suffer one strain. Or um, you lose the benefits of a prior maneuver, such as taking cover or assuming a guarded stance until they perform the maneuver again, which is very similar to the ability for you for a player to spend advantage to either perform a free maneuver or negate the target enemy's defense. So you take a guarded stance. Yay, you've got um, a melee defense plus one. Well, all of a sudden, spend one threat and you stumble out of your guarded stance, and so until you're able to do that again, you are wide open. Um, for social encounters, they give the example of, again, suffer one strain, which could be that it took a lot out of you in order to explain what you were trying to say, or um, you had to give up a little bit of something to achieve your goal, those kinds of things. Or you get distracted or sidetracked momentarily. This can result in them being unable to activate an ability that requires spending a move around their next turn, or it may just result in their being dragged into lengthy and boring conversation. So those are your examples of uh, one threat, which I really like that result of being dragged into a lengthy and boring conversation. It has really no mechanical teeth to it, but come on, no one likes being dragged into a lengthy, boring conversation that you can't get out of, am I right? When you move on to two threat, my personal favorite, just like spending two advantage, an opponent may immediately perform one free maneuver as an incidental response to the active character's check. So yes, you succeed in your in your attack, but one enemy was able to take advantage of an opening you made to perform a maneuver. It could be the targeted character makes the disengage maneuver to get out of melee. It could be that um, while your attack was, uh, your attack took a lot of time and you were unable to properly defend yourself, so now an opposing character can make a aim maneuver against you for free, making it more likely that they're going to hit you on their turn or something along those lines. And it's really fun when, say, you're in a foot race trying to run away from somebody. You take the move maneuver to get just that much further because they might still be keeping up with you, but you know there's barrels in the way and it slows them down a little bit, so you're able to move one more range band away. For socials checks, you accidentally re- reveal your own strength or flaw, which, just like when learning the target strength or flaw, um, it opens up an avenue that the NPCs would not otherwise have without spending a specific action to learn them, but you let something slip, your facade falters for a moment, and people learn more about what drives you. And then for both uh, combat and social, two threat adds a boost die to the targeted character's next check, or the active character or an allied character suffers one setback on their next action. Um, for a successful combat check, maybe you are shooting so wildly that um, one of your allies has to duck to get out of your line of fire, or you throw a grenade which gets a little too close. Um, if you're in a grand melee where there's a lot of, where there's you, an ally, and an enemy, then um, you make a wild swing that forces your ally to jump back a little bit before they can make their move, which will all effectively give them a setback die on their next check. And then with the boost die, it's very similar where you're just, preve- you're providing an opening that they can exploit so it makes it a little bit easier for them to do what they're going to do. When you move on to three threat, um, the active character falls prone because why not, right? You fall prone, which is similar to um, negating a prior maneuver, but more potent because you're not just negating a maneuver, you're kind of forcing a maneuver because you have to spend a maneuver to stand up. Um, If you have the kip-up talent, of course, it's not that big of a deal, which is side note to GMs. If players have these cool abilities and the talents that allow them to do cool things, 
go ahead and spend these threats to allow them to use that ability. They spent experience on it for a reason. They're expecting it to come up. So make sure that they have those opportunities. To you, it may seem like a waste of three threat for them to practically do nothing. But A, it makes the player feel awesome knowing that they invested points in that and it's coming in handy. And B, even though they can perform the stand-up maneuver as an incidental instead of a maneuver, they still have to do it on their turn. So there's a possibility that they'll still be smacked while they're down. So it's not a complete waste if you look at it that way. Otherwise, the active character grants the enemy a significant advantage in the ongoing encounter, such as accidentally blasting the controls to a bridge the active character was planning to use for their escape. In a social check for three threat, the active character accidentally reveals their own desire or fear, or accidentally reveals their true goal in the encounter. So, all examples of three threat, except for falling prone, have no immediate mechanics associated with them, but they do open up opportunities for later. For example, the active character accidentally reveals their true goals, which could either uh, signal the end of the encounter because they were trying to be sneaky, or it could be that because we're talking about threatening success at this point, you succeed in what you're doing, but the person knows why you're doing it and is unlikely to be nicer to you in the future because they realize that you pulled the wool over their eyes and they gave you what you wanted without knowing it. And this kind of um, goes along the lines of, in a lot of stories, um, books, movies, TV shows, Uh, someone calling in a marker and their friend giving them what they want but it always ends up with and if you ever come near me again I'll kill you kind of thing because you did something that they weren't expecting but they were you know a person of their word so they did what they said but they're like I'm done with you I give you what you want you're using it for a purpose I do not approve of so don't ever contact me again. That's the kind of thing that you're looking at at this point. And then the combat table ends at spending a three threat, but it does have a row in the table dealing with just spending one uh, despair, which I think I need to go into just a little bit here. The first option for combat spending of uh, despair is the character's weapon immediately runs out of ammunition and may not be used for the remainder of the encounter. Normally that's going to be a pretty big deal, but I believe in the uh, modern day setting in the back of the book, it has the idea of extra reloads. Because, let's face it, no one just walks around with one clip in their handgun, especially if they're part of a military or paramilitary organization. Heck, even uh, cops usually walk around with one or two spare clips just in case, because you don't have that much um, ammo in one uh, magazine. I keep using the word clip, but it's a magazine because it's internal. There's just not enough in one magazine for a pistol, so you carry around a second. And in uh, military, people usually carry around several reloads because the same thing You may have, you know, 10, 20, even 30 times as much ammunition than a pistol, but for a fully automatic weapon or even semi-automatic, you're going to go through those pretty quickly. And so just like the falling prone option, some GMs may find that to be a waste of a despair because all it takes is a maneuver to reload their weapon. Well, yes, but at the same time, it's still using up valuable resources. Once they run out of ammo, they have to go back, you know, once they run out of um, extra ammo, they have to go back to where they bought it and get more. For a handgun, it might not be that big of a deal because you can buy 9mm ammo at pretty much any sporting goods store across the country in the U.S., but if you have military weapons or highly specialized weapons for one reason or another, for one reason or another, then you're not going to be able to find it as easily. It might be very expensive to purchase, etc. And then um, another option they give is upgrade the difficulty of an allied character's next check or the next check of the current active character which is similar to adding a setback die to a character's next action, but 
it's even more egregious because it's upgrading the difficulty, which gives you the chance of rolling another despair. And one of my favorites that I have not yet been able to use, but I plan on using quite frequently, is the tool, brawl, or melee weapon the active character is using becomes damaged. See page 89. During the normal course of use, your weapon can become, or tool, can become damaged. And there are basically, there are five, I guess, levels of damaged. You have perfectly fine, um, which is what it normally is. You buy a weapon and it is in pristine condition, I guess you could say. And then there's minor damage, which all it does is adds a setback die to the use of the item. So for a lockpicking set, one of your lockpicks is bent, so it's not as good as it could be. A sword could get dulled. Um, axe could be missing parts of that blade head. Um, weapon could get misaligned so the iron sights don't work as well or something like that and it's just one uh, setback die to the use of it. Moderate damage causes the um, active character to increase the difficulty once when using it. So a sword that is rusted and dented and no longer properly weighed is going to be a lot more difficult to use than um, you know a new one that has been polished and kept sharp and clean and is properly weighed so you have an increase in the difficulty and then you have major damage which the item is unusable but it's still um, able to be repaired it doesn't actually have this listed down but i can imagine that once you get past major it's just destroyed because with a minor damage you can spend 25 percent of the cost of the item to repair it moderate damage is 50 percent and 100 percent if it is majorly damaged and then i'm just assuming that after major just destroyed cannot be used, must be replaced, which not much different than spending 100% um, of the cost to repair it. But at the same time, if it is a rare item, then it's going to cost not just money, but time, and you might not have that time. So the differences between major damage and and destroyed might be minor, but sometimes that difference is going to be important. And as for social encounters, spending despair, the active character accidentally reveals a motivation facet of one of their allies. So it's not just they let something slip about themselves, but against one of their allies. Um, Otherwise, you can learn one false motivation facet of the target character. So you believe believe that you figured out what their what their desire is but you're completely wrong well it's false so it's not like completely wrong but you think you know what it is but that's not it if that were to happen at my table and i had two despairs i would have them think that the character had learned their target's desire but it would actually be the exact opposite so interacting with that would actually add two setback dice instead until they were able to find out that they were wrong and of course upgrade the difficulty and valid characters check uh, just like with combat and then the last option for spending despair on a social check is the active character becomes so embroiled in irrelevant events in the encounter that they cannot do anything important during the next round so it's kind of an upgrade of the one threat you're dragged into a lengthy and boring conversation it's so lengthy so boring so monotonous so tedious so lame that you can't even do anything the next time it comes around to you to act and one thing i do want to um get across real quick is that just because the table is in the combat chapter or in the social encounter chapter doesn't mean that you cannot use option in the other so for example active character accidentally reveals a motivation facet of one of their allies is in the social encounters table for spending despair there's no reason why especially if you have a an errol flynn type of uh, combat where the the characters are not just attacking each other but bantering back and forth no reason you can't spend that despair in combat to reveal a motivation of an ally during the course of the banter between the uh, weapon attacks. 
and just because you have you know spend two threats to perform a, an immediate maneuver is in the combat chapter there's no reason why a maneuver can't be spent in a social encounter even though it's not listed on the table because yeah there are a lot of maneuvers that are specific to um, combat but talents will give you the ability to perform maneuvers that are not necessarily completely combat focused which could be used for other things so if you have the supreme inspiring rhetoric um, you can use inspiring rhetoric as a maneuver instead of an action so while you are in the midst of a social encounter and your opponent provides a brief opening you can say something very inspirational to your allies pretty much for free that allows you to make a leadership check to allow them to heal strain which is great even though that option to perform a maneuver for free isn't in the social encounters table doesn't mean you cannot use it which is the point that i'm trying to get across and I do have one listener question sent in from Mr. Matthew Perotti from the RPG Academy Network. He says, Now, I haven't played Genesis, and I've only dabbled in FFG Star Wars, but I was always led to believe that triumphs and despairs didn't count as success and failure. They were on a different axis, almost. But on your last episode, you said different. So I guess, did Genesis change that from Star Wars, or have I understood wrongly this entire time? Um, you're half right, half wrong there, Matt. Because while the triumph and despair are on their own axis, they also count as a success or failure. On page 12 and 13 of the Genesis Core rulebooks, First, each triumph symbol also counts as one success, in every way success has previously been defined. Secondly, you can spend a triumph symbol to trigger incredibly potent effects. You could think of this as a super advantage. Then for despair on page 13, first, each despair symbol also counts as one failure, in every way failure has previously been defined. Second, each despair can be used to trigger potent negative effects. You can think of a despair as a super threat, although sometimes the effects are so dire that no amount of threat could trigger them. And that's also how it was in Star Wars. So your triumph does count towards your success total, but it also counts as a triumph for other things. And same with the despair. The despair does count as a failure, but it also counts as a despair symbol in its own right. So a little bit of A, a little bit of B. And I hope that helps clear things up, Matt. And remember, regardless of the success or failure of your dice roll, always check for excess advantage. You've been listening to Excess Advantage. If you'd like to leave comments on today's show or subscribe to the community, please visit the website at excess-advantage.com. You can find the host on Twitter at C double underscore Beck. If you like what you hear and want to spread the word, please leave a review or rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe. It'll help others find us. If you want to join the growing Discord community, become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash excessadvantage. Thanks for listening and catch you next week.